Church History, Scotland, Lights and Shadows of the Reformation, London, G. Morrish, 20, Paternoster Square, before 1915. Republished by Irving Risch, host of Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded podcast. Mary, Queen of Scotland. Mary, daughter of James V, when an infant, had been espoused to the Dauphin of France, and to ensure her education in the Catholic religion, she had been carried to France when only six years of age. In 1558 she was married, and on the death of King Henry II, of France in 1559, her husband became King, Francis II, and she Queen of France. On the death of the Queen Regent, Mary took up her rights as Queen of Scotland, and her husband became by courtesy King of Scotland. In 1560 the Parliament met, and declared for the establishment of the Protestant religion, but on an ambassador being sent to France to obtain the ratification of these acts by the King and Queen, this was refused. And the ambassador was insulted by the court. This left all in confusion. Knox was now settled at Edinburgh, and he, with four others, was commissioned to draw up articles of church government. The result was the Book of Policy, or First Book of Discipline. This was the first step in setting up the Church of Scotland. The form of government became Presbyterian, learned by Knox from Calvin, but modified as the Scottish reformers thought fit. One may well ask what authority had any to set up a church after their own whim and fancy. Of course it was said to be according to scripture, but how far they wandered from this may be seen in their rule that the Lord's Supper was to be administered in towns four times a year. When scripture plainly says that the disciples came together on the first day of the week for the purpose of breaking bread. Acts chapter 20 verse 7. The first meeting of the General Assembly met at Edinburgh on December 20, 1560. There were 40 members, six only being preachers. Where had the reformers found scripture for such an assembly to regulate the affairs of the church? This same year Knox lost his wife, who had shared many troubles with her husband. She left two children to his care. But troubles were not yet over for Scotland. Queen Mary of Scotland, being also as we have seen, Queen of France, now prepared an army in France to invade Scotland, and re-establish the Catholic religion. But the attack was frustrated by the death of her husband, December 5, 1560. Mary, now a widow, being invited, returned to Scotland, August 19, 1561, to take her place as Queen. Her situation was most trying, not yet 19 years of age, a stranger in her own country, and almost without a friend. Soon after her arrival she had a long interview with Knox, but she could make no impression on him, and he could not influence her. The Queen finding that asserting her authority could not move Knox, sent for him from time to time, becoming very confiding to gain her own ends. She also appointed Protestants to all the high offices in the state, which was the means of weaning them more and more from the strict principles of the Reformation which had been laid down. The Queen by these means was working out her own ends. Being a thorough papist at heart, she steadily kept in view the restoration of popery in Scotland. To this end she was endeavouring first to weaken her opponents. Knox, hearing that the Queen was contemplating marriage, denounced from the pulpit her marrying a papist. This offended some of the Protestants, and set them against Knox. News of the sermon soon reached the Queen, who again sent for Knox. She received him with a stern countenance. What have you to do with my marriage? demanded the Queen, bursting into tears. Knox made the best excuse he could. Certainly this was not preaching the gospel, nor feeding the flock of God. She ordered him out of her presence, but to await her pleasure. In the ante-room he found himself amidst the ladies of the court. Oh fair ladies, said he, how pleasing wore this life of yours, if it sold ever abide, and then, in the end, that we might part a heaven with all this gay gear. But fie upon that knave death, that will come widow we will or not. For the present Knox was dismissed. Another event brought the reformer into trouble. 
the Queen being away from Edinburgh, some of her household revived at the palace certain formalities that had been laid aside rather than offend the Protestants. Some who heard of these things resorted to Holyrood, and burst into the chapel, and asked the priest how he dare be so malapert. This caused great confusion at the time. And when the Queen heard of it she resolved to bring the intruders to trial. Knox wrote circulars to the chief of the Protestants, inviting them to come to Edinburgh to be present at the trial. One of these circulars was taken to the Queen, who resolved to indict Knox for treason. The Queen was present at the trial of Knox, and tried hard to get him condemned. Is it not treason, my lords, to accuse a prince of cruelty, said the Queen. But wherein can I be accused of this, asked Knox. Read this part of your own bill, said the Queen. The sentence ran thus, this fearful summons is directed against them, who had caused a disturbance at Holyrood, to make, no doubt, a preparative on a few. That a door may be opened to execute cruelty upon a greater multitude. What say you to that, demanded the Queen. Knox asked if the Queen did not know that the obstinate Papists were deadly enemies to all such as profess the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that they most earnestly desired the extermination of them, and of the true doctrine that was taught within the realm. The nobles acquitted Knox, greatly to the annoyance of the Queen. This was in 1563. In 1564 Knox married Margaret Stuart, daughter of Lord Ockeltree, by whom he had several children. The country continued in comparative quiet, the Protestants going on with their work amidst more or less opposition, and the Queen watching her opportunity to bring back the country to Romanism. In July, 1565, the Queen married Lord Henry Darnley, son of the Earl of Lennox, who seemed to have no religion, and who could be either Papist or Protestant as occasion demanded. He was proclaimed King without the concurrence of the nobles. Some of the Protestant nobles took up arms to secure the Protestant religion, as they said, but political reasons in opposition to Darnley seemed to have been their real aim. Though Knox kept himself as free as he could from these nobles, he was again brought into collision with the Queen by another intemperate sermon. Darnley, to please the Protestants, resolved to go sometimes to St. Giles's Church, and on the 19th of August he went in state. Knox preached and in his sermons spoke of the punishment of women, ruling over them, and said that God punished Ahab because he did not correct his idolatrous wife Jezebel. This was taken to be aimed at the king and queen, and Knox was forbidden to preach while the court remained at Edinburgh. The Protestant nobles who had taken up arms had not been successful. They were exiled, and the Protestant party being to this extent weakened the Queen began to plot again to bring the kingdom back to popery. Various means were taken to bring this about, and the plot seemed about to succeed when a sudden change was brought about by the assassination of the Queen's favourite, Rizzio, who had been principal adviser in the scheme. The Queen's other popish councillors now fled, and the exiled nobles returned. There can be no doubt but that the murder of Rizzio had been brought about by Darnley's jealousy of the power bestowed on this favourite. It is also clear that he found Protestant nobles to aid him in the scheme. Nothing forms a darker shadow on the Reformation than that Protestant nobles should have turned assassins, but, as we have seen, Protestantism in Scotland was political as well as Christian, and national as well as spiritual. So that many were attached to the Reformed religion who were not Christians, and we would fain hope that no true Christian had anything to do with that dark deed. Another tragedy, well known in Scottish history, the murder of Darnley, hastened on events. The Queen's affection, which for her husband had sensibly declined, now settled on the Earl of Bothwell. The husband was decoyed into a solitary house in Edinburgh, which in the night was blown up by gunpowder. The Queen's want of zeal in prosecuting her husband's murderers and her hasty marriage with Bothwell, left an indelible impression of her guilt on the mind of the nation. This deed was rapidly followed by the confederation of the nobles to avenge the death of the King. 
Bothwell fled, and the Queen resigned the government, her infant prince was crowned, and the Earl of Murray appointed regent during his minority. Knox preached the sermon at the coronation of James VI, and it was now hoped that the Reformation was finally settled in Scotland. In December the Parliament met and decided that no prince should be king in Scotland unless he took oath to maintain the Protestant religion. Knox was appointed one of the commissioners to draw up articles for church government. All things were not however finally settled. The Queen escaping from her confinement was joined by some of the nobles who had not joined in proclaiming James VI. King, a large sum of money was contributed by the continental Catholic princes, and an opportunity was sought for again placing the Queen on the throne. The vigilance of the regent was equal to the occasion, and many disasters were avoided by his promptitude and decision. An opportunity was sought, and he was murdered. His death greatly affected Knox, which was followed by a stroke of apoplexy which greatly affected the reformer's speech. This was in October, 1570. The Earl of Lennox was made regent, but he only feebly filled the place of Murray, and the civil war was increased by some who had supported the Reformation now abandoning it. This was notably the case with Kirkaldy, whom Murray had made governor of Edinburgh Castle. This man had been imprisoned with Knox, they had shared persecution together, and it now greatly grieved the reformer to find him desert the cause of reform. But politics were now so mixed up with religion, that the Protestants were divided among themselves on political grounds. Instead of the war cry being, Protestantism and Catholicity, it became, who is for the king and who is for the queen. It was soon seen that it was not safe for Knox to remain in Edinburgh. A shot was one evening fired into his room, but not sitting in his usual place he escaped. His friends now advised him to flee, but he steadily refused until they told him that they should take up arms in his defence, and if their blood was shed it would be on his head. He returned to St Andrews. But here was the same commotion, some for the king, some for the queen. Here Knox again got into trouble by attacking people in his sermons. In 1572, see note. There was a cessation of hostilities between the parties of the king and queen, and Knox was invited to return to Edinburgh. He had been gradually failing in health, but resolved to go. Once more he was in the pulpit where he had so electrified the people by his eloquence, but now he was so broken down that not half the people could hear him. James Lawson of Aberdeen was chosen as his colleague. Note, Mary had fled to England in 1568. She was afterwards made prisoner by Elizabeth, and in 1587 was executed. End of note. Scotland, with every Protestant country was startled by the intelligence of that darkest of all Catholic deeds the massacre of Bartholomew. Knox was carried to the pulpit, and there he summed up his energies to thunder the vengeance of heaven against that cruel murderer and false traitor. The King of France. It would have been more in the spirit of Christ if he had prayed for the King's conversion.